Today's episode is brought to you by Provider Solutions and Development. With a projected shortage of 124,000 physicians by 2034, you need an excellent recruitment partner. Provider Solutions and Development is a leader in physician and APC recruitment because they do recruitment differently with no commissions and no quotas. With their nationwide provider network, PSD will work one on one with you to create a highly customized recruitment plan designed to find the right candidates for the job. Visit info.psdconnect.org forward slash care talk to start the conversation today. That's info.psdconnect.org forward slash care talk. Or just click the link in the description. Welcome to Care Talk, America's home for incisive debate about healthcare business and policy. I'm David Williams, president of Health Business Group. And I'm John Driscoll, the CEO of CareCentrics. David, it is Pride Month, and I think it's really important this month for us to talk about mental health, healthcare issues, and those that affect the LGBTQ community. John, I would agree. You know, we spent a fair amount of time discussing disparities, social determinants of health broadly, but this is a group we haven't touched on specifically. And I think it actually shows the value of Pride Month which is to get us discussing these topics. So John, I want to ask the first question to you. And in fact, you know, we talk about disparities, but what are some disparities in LGBTQ plus health? Well, there's a, there's, there's, there's a bunch. You know, first of all, if you look statistically, uh, LGBTQ community is more likely to suffer from preventable and manageable healthcare, traditional healthcare issues like cancer, um, heart disease, uh, breast and cervical cancers, um, as well as uh, all kind, as well as it, it being at higher risk of, of smoking abuse and alcohol abuse. And in general, uh, it is an area, it is a group that has not surprisingly given the stigma that has historically been associated with this population, a lot of mental health issues. I mean, there is one study where one out of every 10 LGBTQ folks uh, admitted that a doctor had refused to see them because of their actual or perceived sexual orientation. The number drifts up to three or four in ten. If you're asking uh, trans people uh, whether they whether they, they've been refused access to treatment, I mean that, that those are horrifying statistics that 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 are basically dislocating this vulnerable population from access to care. I can't imagine, a, particularly a group that's already suffering, uh, that they have to deal with these kinds of barriers to care. John, I want to emphasize what you brought up at first about when you ask about, you know, what are the, some of the specific issues? And, and you went right to heart disease, cancer, things like that, which are kind of physical disorders. And a lot of that ties in directly from, um, a, as a direct uh, consequence of alcohol abuse and and, and misuse, which is again driven by probably some of the you know the pressures that people are are feeling, the sort of the stress of being in a minority group, and that many people broadly have have had during the pandemic, and this should actually lead us to the, the realization that you know these sort of uh, issues of of stress then leading to uh, substance abuse and then leading to physical conditions. There are some other things that as, as where I thought you were going to start um, that are you know, kind of make sense when you think about them. So. Lack of recognition of healthcare needs. So, for example, if a, if a trans or non-binary person is going to uh, a gynecologist, they may struggle with you know what kind of care is actually uh, needed. You also see uh, eating disorders. 
you know, which have to do with low self-esteem, unrealistic body standards, something like 50% of people in the community actually uh, suffer from uh, an eating disorder of, of one kind uh, or another. And then there's some other things that are, that are stigma, for example, intimate partner violence, especially um, among men. Uh, there's a stigma about uh, about getting help, even though the, the prevalence of, of abuse is, is similar to that in heterosexual uh, relationships. So there's quite a lot to unpack there, John. But I, but I think I think a lot of this comes back. I think we got to chunk it into different challenges. One is for any minority community around which there has been a fair amount of stigma, criticism, uh, dislocation. There's going to be mental health issues are going to follow, and I think that's the importance to your point of why we've got to recognize uh, Pride Month and call out some of the differences that, 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 that exist about access and patterns of care. Most medical schools, David, still don't teach much about this population. And as a vulnerable population that affects millions of people in the U.S., to not even teach about it when we know that there are uh, to your point, that that, that that this population is suffering uh, more than other populations, it just seems crazy. And I think it makes it harder for docs to then orient, accept, and engage this population, which is probably, uh, at, at, and, at, and at worst, denying access to care for vulnerable patients. And I, again, it's it's important to call this out as a structural problem, not just a problem of kind of behavior and and, 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 and and social challenges within the population, you've got a lot of prejudice and stigma, and you've really got some significant access of care issues. So, John, you know, they call it Pride Month, not like woe is me month. So let's talk about some of the positive things that can be done. And in particular, you know, how the LGBTQ plus population can improve health care. Uh, now you're talking about, for example, uh, medical school training. So let's take that on the other side. And, and there are groups that are advocating for it. Let's actually train medical students uh, and how to work with this population, among others. Some of the things that you see on a policy level, like anti-bullying policies, uh, a lot of those are actually um, helpful for the LGBTQ plus uh, community in particular. Uh, there's also things that people do from a kind of a self-advocacy standpoint, like finding the right a physician who actually, you know, will not just be willing to see you, but actually um, knows how to work with people that have your same situations, the same same as you would for any kind of uh, kind of experience. And part of that, uh, and some people do this during Pride Month, is you know coming out to their their physicians and and specifically talking about um, you know what they can do and taking practical steps, whether that might be prep in the case of uh, HIV uh, prevention, uh, other STD testing. Um, and other practical things that uh, they might do to to, to take uh, control of their own health. Yeah, I think I think the most important thing in Pride Month is, is, is to recognize that you know that 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 LGBTQ uh, minorities are part of the broader community, and as and and just and, and that we need to treat all patients as having unique needs. In the same way, we've called out uh, discrimination and lack of access to care. For, folk, for racial minorities, we've got to do the same for, you know, folks who are minorities by, 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 by dint of sexual orientation. There's a lot we can do here, David, if we're aware of it. And it again, it starts with making sure there's access. You, typically, in this community, you also have an under, an, a number of folks who don't have as much health, there's not as much health care coverage of insurance as there should be. 
mean, this is a minority population that has is is really suffering. And I think you know, it, as a healthcare system that's oriented towards healing, we need to make sure that the on ramps and access to care are there, and that that the that the medical talent is there to uh, to to support them. And I and I and I think the other thing I'd, I'd underscore is like any challenge, and you're seeing this in, in the anxiety and depression statistics, which are, are much higher for uh, children and adults who have, um, a, a, who, who are LGBTQ or identify as LG, LGBTQ. Um, we don't have a, a, a very accessible mental health care system in America in general. Then you add to that, that, uh, that some folks will refuse to treat or not know how to treat folks from this community, I think that could, that probably there's a simmering crisis of care at the edges in this community that we're not really taking seriously because it, it was even hard to get great statistics on where the problems were and how we can solve them. And, you know, we, we love our statistics, but when, particularly when you've got a minority yeah. community, it gets really hard. John, I mean, let's, you and I have been both been around long enough that we can look at the, the, you know, the broad sweep of history, at least over the past half century or so. And I want to put out the question of, you know, how much progress has there been? You know, on the, on the one hand, uh, you know, since around 1969, there's definitely been, uh, you know, an awareness of first sort of gay liberation and then, you know, broadening it and, and talking about as we do now, LGBTQ plus, um, and there have been things just in the, in the recent years about legalizing same-sex marriage at the national level that happened very fast. And at the same time, you see um, you see uh, some people using this as a, as a wedge issue, uh, as you've seen in, in Florida uh, and and other places in Virginia uh, and and other places. And I wonder, you know, are you seeing progress? Not seeing progress? What do we learn from this? Asked generally, of course, there's been progress. I mean, the LGBTQ community, you know, we've actually got uh, same-sex marriage as a right. Uh, we've got, we've made enormous progress uh, against AIDS through all of the pharmaceutical interventions and have made those drugs available and accessible uh, domestically through the conventional expensive means that are they're distributed in the U.S. and abroad uh, through all the good work of PEPFAR and um, and those are those are sort of unimaginable in the moment. The AIDS crisis at the time in the seventies and the eighties really uh, was a disaster, uh, and the, and 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 drugs were inaccessible. And through the good work of uh, tough-minded advocacy organizations like ACT UP uh, and others, uh, coverage was provided, and the the drugs were delivered. And then you've seen an, an incredibly sophisticated political movement. Uh, to put fairness around the right to marry who you love um, on the ballot and in people's minds is something that's acceptable. Having said that, I don't think we can forget all of the genuine challenges that folks in a minority community have, particularly one for, for whom there are there there's enough prejudice and, and lack of understanding of us being one one basic human community that you can some you know inane politicians can use the issue of sexual preference uh, or transgender issues as somehow a wedge issue to disorient people and distract them uh, from the economic issues uh, that I think feeds a level of prejudice and stigma that probably feeds that cycle of mental 
uh, anxiety that you were seeing much more prevalent among the LGBTQ plus community than not. John, let's end on uh, the topic of older people in the LGBTQ plus uh, community and new issues that may be coming up for them. As we know, a lot of uh, healthcare uh, is delivered toward the end of life. And so it's not just about um, you know, a person going to the gynecologist uh, for the first time. We're also talking about dealing with geriatricians, dealing with senior housing uh, loss, and just you know, sort of the the loss of autonomy that that older people sometimes experience as they go into assisted living or or nursing homes. Now you're talking about people that may be in their 70s, 80s, even older, um, who maybe were not out and uh, maybe never were, um, and now we're going into uh, you know different type of of housing and, and facing challenges there. Uh, so I just want to raise that topic, see if you have any. Yeah, no, I think with 10,000 people turning Medicare eligible every day, you're going to have a substantial minority that are going to be LGBTQ+, regardless of whether they ever identified that way. And you're probably dealing with an older demographic of doctors, nurses, and care supporters who, aren't necess- no, who wouldn't necessarily have been exposed as much to that community and, and maybe a little bit more conservative or just concerned. And I think that's why Pride Month is so powerful. The more we can identify uh, the the, mem- the minority members of our community from whatever minority who previously been stigmatized as members of our community, the more likely we are to actually uh, heal, uh, build build bridges, and heal those gaps, and 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 bring people uh, the knowledge and the uh, and the insight that uh, these are the, the, that there are some folks who are suffering and that we need to embrace them. I think that's. I think. I guess on a, on a happy note, David, this is Pride Month, and hopefully the the powerful message of that uh, that we should be proud of all of members of our community will help kind of uh, uh, build those bridges that we need to see built to the older caregivers, so that the our, our aging our members of our aging population from that from that community or get the care they need. Well, John, let's leave it right there. Uh, this is David Williams president of Health Business Group. And I'm John Driscoll, the CEO of Care Centrics. If you liked what you heard or you didn't, please subscribe on your favorite service.